Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. am blank. If you had to fill that in, what, what would you say? Maybe on a day like today, you'd say, I am an American citizen. Maybe you'd say, I am a man. Maybe you'd say, I am a woman. Maybe we identify ourselves based on whether we're black or white or brown or yellow. Maybe we identify ourselves, I am smart I am dumb, I am funny, I'm pretty, I'm ugly, you know. If you had to fill in that blank, I am blank, what would you say? Have you ever found that when you look in the mirror, sometimes it is a distorted reflection if you've ever been to one of those fun houses and you see the mirror, sometimes when you look into that mirror, it's not quite what you would expect. So often, you and I put stock in what we think of ourselves when we look in the mirror. Or we look in the mirror and we think about ourselves in the context of what we think other people think about us. And so we spend so much time worrying about what we see in the mirror in terms of our identity. We identify ourselves by our families, by the latest fashion trends, by what's popular, and by other people's expectations. And we allow all of those things to come together and to define our identity. How many of us have memories of growing up on the ball field or on the playground and they would pick two captains and based on that then they would begin to assemble a team and how many of you have memories as a child of being the last one picked? As a kid growing up, I was always the last one picked and it's not because I'm not sports inclined. I can play pretty much anything that someone gives to me. Why? Well, it was because I wasn't popular. And so I was always that last kid who felt like they were picked. How many of you like to sing or act or draw? And at some point along the way, somebody said something to you, made a reference to something, or you compared yourself to other people, and from that point on, you never developed that skill any farther. I always think about how so many kids love to draw, And then at some point along the way, all of a sudden they decide, I don't like it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I often wonder, why is that the case? Is it because at some point they compared themselves to other people or somebody made a comment and from that point on, they decided that they weren't going to try it anymore? I can think through, when I was a kid and I was in third grade, I had a teacher, Mrs. Barnes, and for whatever reason, she yelled at me. And there in that classroom, I cried that day. And as a kid in the third grade, and you cry, man, from that point on, that was my identity. Everybody said, oh, you're the crybaby. You're that guy. 
And that follows me, that still follows me around to this very day, but instead, what I've had to do is to be able to say, you know what, that's okay that that's my identity, because here's what it does, is it allows me to show compassion for those who are hurting. But when you're a kid, you don't understand that. And how many of us do that same sort of thing? We look in the mirror, and we see a distorted reflection of who we are. Do you want to know why? why? You don't want to know why we see a distorted picture? Because we're asking the wrong question. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And see, if you can answer that question, and throughout this sermon series, we're going to be looking at who are we in Christ? If we can answer that question, it will change everything. To whom do you belong? When we know this, it will give us confidence. When we know this, it will give us an understanding. It will make all the difference in our lives. It will give us purpose. It will give us hope. You are as unique as a thumbprint. There is no one who has ever existed or will ever exist who is quite like you. Now, understand that as we go throughout this series, this is not a 12 steps to a better you. All right? This is not something where this is just about an emotional type pick-me-up. This is not about, for those of you who are Saturday Night Live fans, looking in the mirror and saying, I am good enough, I am smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Right? This Stuart Smalley type of mentality where we can simply think ourselves up to a higher plane. What we will understand is when we do that sort of thing, maybe you'll see yourself for just a brief moment a little bit more quickly. But how many of you know that as you step out of the shower, all of a sudden the mirror gets fogged up again? And while you can try to rub it off and see, maybe just for a brief moment, ultimately what happens is the mirror fogs once again. And if we just simply look at this series as just a simple self-help type series, what's going to happen is you may see for just a moment and then it's going to fog up again. Instead, for us to understand who we are in Christ. I want us to know we have trouble loving ourselves and the world loves us for what we do. But God loved you before the foundations of the world. You are lavishly loved. Let that sink in for just a moment. You are lavishly loved. And when you come to know that, it will change your life. Now, I I don't just come up with this on my own. This is something that we see laid out for us in Scripture. And so if you've got your Bibles handy, I'd love for you to open up to Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Throughout this series, we are simply going to be spending the next weeks and weeks and weeks together in the book of Ephesians. And so as we start, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading all the way down through the 14th verse. Of course, you're going to be able to follow along on the screen behind me. But here now, the reading of God's word. Paul 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, and he's talking to the Jews here, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, and he's talking to Gentiles here, were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And may God bless the reading of his words to our hearts and lives this morning. You know, as, as we begin together this morning, I think it's important for us to understand. This is, this is kind of a, just a, a little fun word study. We're going to be doing a couple of those this morning. That when you pick up, we don't, we don't get this necessarily in our translation, but if you look at the original language from verses 3 to 14, it is a run-on sentence. Paul doesn't even take a breath. It's almost as if he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then for the next 11 verses, he can't stop talking about the incredible love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. I love what Max Lucado has said. God is crazy about you. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. Whenever you would talk, he would listen. You might go days without thinking about him, but there is never a moment when he would not be thinking about you. I mean, I think that that is such a wonderful reminder for us this morning that you 
are lavishly loved. You are special in the eyes of God. In fact, in this passage, the entire Godhead is mentioned. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of them are talking about how much you are loved. And so this morning, though, we're not going to be following along on the, on the outline that you see there. This is what I want you to know, is that you are chosen. To be able to say, I am chosen. Every morning when you wake up, you can look into the mirror and you can say that. It's not about what you think about yourself. It's not what you think other people think about you. Ultimately, it's what God thinks about you. And what God says is, I choose you. What did Paul say in verses 3 to 6? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love. He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. I don't want to pass over this point too quickly. I want us to know that before God created the world, he chose you to be holy and blameless in his sight. You are a chosen new creation. Before you could do anything good or anything bad, God told you that he loves you. If you doubt it, even look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In fact, there's a beautiful illustration that talks about it this way. There's an old woman hearing some preachers who spoke about the doctrine of predestination and God's choosing said this, Ah, I have long settled the point. For if God had not chosen me before I was born, I am sure that he would have seen nothing in me to have chosen me afterwards. Many of us probably feel the same way. Maybe we look at ourselves and we think, man, Lord, I am so messed up. I have made so many mistakes. How could you possibly love someone like me? But I want us to understand where even this illustration falls short because it's true that there is nothing in us that would make God want to choose us after we are born. Yes, we are broken. Yes, we are sinful. And our sin is always unlovely in God's eyes. But we get it screwed up because we're thinking about this from a human perspective. We make it about what we do, whether I'm good or bad. But notice what this passage says. God doesn't choose us because of who we are he chooses us because of who he is and because of who Christ is. 
That is our hope. We have a tendency to look at it through a human perspective and eyes, but when we do it in that way, we will always see God's love for us through our goodness or our badness instead of remembering that God loved us before the foundations of the world. Now, honestly, we could spend an entire morning on just this passage, on just this, these couple of verses. And, and it's not to really have us talking about what, what really is a beautiful doctrine of predestination. It is instead to remind us that we are a chosen new creation. By the way, another way of looking at this is what Paul says, that we have been adopted. You are chosen you are adopted as sons and daughters. And what that means is that you have all of the rights and privileges of the family to which you belong. You know, I, I, I learned this a couple of years ago. Um, I had the opportunity to sit in on an adoption, the final adoption of some children at our previous church. It's a really beautiful experience to see the judge finally kind of make the order that this child is now adopted. But here's what I learned, is that when, a, when that child is adopted, a new birth certificate is issued. And the adoptive parents are listed as the birth parents. And the old birth certificate is sealed away only to be opened by a court order. Now, why do they do that? It's so that the adoptive children can receive all of the rights and the privileges as if they were actual birth children. I mean, it is an incredibly beautiful picture. I mean, think about that for just a moment. The good news is that God has adopted us into his family and we have received all of the rights and the privileges that come to Jesus Christ. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Do you know what that means? It means you are not the last kid to be picked when you are on the playground. All right? You are not the one who is going to be standing all alone at the dance. You are not little orphan Annie who gets passed over and over and over again. You have been adopted and you get all the stuff that Daddy Warbucks wants to give to you. That's what we have in Jesus Christ. Now, why? Why does he do this? Know what it's, notice what it says at the end of verse 5 and then in the beginning of 6. You won't see the end of verse 5. It says, in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You know, I can remember a number of years ago talking with a, a family, a part of our church, they had adopted a, a couple of daughters from China. And one of the things that he was sharing with me is how he said, you know, so often we would get people coming up to us and saying, wow, 
I, I can't believe that you would do something like that. You saved those girls' lives. What, what an amazing thing that you and your wife have done. And he said, do you know what? He said, it's the most selfish thing we've ever done. He said, we couldn't have children. And so we were able to have a family by adopting these kids. And we've seen how they've blessed our lives. But you know what he said? We did it for our own pleasure and will. You know what it says? God adopted us out of a place without hope for his pleasure and will. He did it for the praise of his glory. He adopted us, again, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that is what you call grace. Imagine every morning you can get up and you can look in the mirror and you can say, I am chosen. I am adopted. I am graced. These are the incredible blessings that we have in Christ, and it gets even better. Notice what it says, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I've been redeemed. Notice what verses 7 to 8 say. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, and once again that he lavished on us. I want to give you another little word study this morning, talking about forgiveness and redemption coming out of the Greek. Where do we get this idea of redemption? There's three words that were often used in the Greek language. One of them is this, the agorazo. The agorazo, and it means to purchase. Think of it when you go to the store and you buy something. Maybe you go to Costco, maybe you go to Owens and you buy something. You purchase something. In Paul's day, slavery was commonplace. They would go to the Agora, and there in the Agora, they could purchase a slave. The second word is this, ex agorazo, which means to purchase out. So if you think of it, you could go to a store, you could buy something, you'd purchase it, and what would you do? You would bring it out. It's the same, same idea. You would go, you would buy a slave, you would bring it out of the agora, and you would bring that slave home. There's a third word, though, that's used, and it's the word apolytrosis, which means to release or to set free. In this case, it is as if you would go to the market, you would buy that slave, you would bring it out, and you would set that slave free. It is a word that literally means to be brought back from, or a repurchasing, or to purchase back what was previously forfeited or lost. It means that you have been purchased out of what has previously enslaved you. And this is exactly the word that is used for what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ came into this world to purchase us out of that which has enslaved us, sin. And he does it through his own 
blood, and he does it so that we can receive the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus. And by the way, Paul and Peter echo one another. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So if you want to add to that, you can look in the mirror every single day and say, not only am I purchased, not only am I redeemed, and I'm graced, and I'm part of God's plan. How might that change the way in which you look at yourself? And then third, and I wish we, I wish we, I should have broken this up into smaller segments. There's so much good stuff here. Uh, but the third thing is this. For those of you who are Stevie Wonder fans, signed, sealed, delivered. Right? Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Notice what it says in verses 13 to 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then notice, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now notice, this is all a part of God's sovereign plan. But Paul says, you need to believe it, right? When you believed, God wrote a love letter to you and he signed it with the blood of Jesus Christ. God has called you to be his special possession. The question is, will you respond with a yes to God's first yes to us? And friends, when you do, we are promised that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We don't often use seals in today's day and age, but in ancient times they were used quite often. And it was a way for the king to be able to say, this letter is sealed. It is from me. It is from my very lips. It was a reminder to those who received it that it was the genuine article to say what is here are my words and my proclamation, but it was also a way in which to say that this is true. I promise to do what I have said I am going to do. And beloved people, that is exactly the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit identifies us as a promised son or daughter of the King. It is a promise that we belong to Jesus. It's not about what we think of ourselves or others, but instead what God says and what God says, I have sealed you with the promised Holy Spirit. And here's what I love. This is not in the future tense. This is in the past tense. You have already been sealed. You, have al you already have all of the promises that God wants to give to you. They are awaiting us before we were born, before the foundations of the world. But the question is, will you claim your inheritance and say, I recognized 
that I have been sealed by the king. I wasn't, I wasn't going to share this, but I thought, this is, this is like, this is too funny and too crazy. So um, you'll have to forgive us. About two months ago, we, we ate a Taco Bell. And um, when we were, when they give you your bag, it was sealed. And I thought, no way, I am going to keep this. And it's just been sitting in our bedroom. And last night as I was studying, I looked over and I saw it. I was like, that's perfect for this morning. It says, sealed for you, right? But guess what? It's the promised seal that God has given to us in the Holy Spirit. And guess what? It's a whole lot better than a nasty burrito, right? (laughs) So this is the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. The question is, will we believe that? And will we claim the inheritance that we have in Christ? You know where it gets hard is... um, a number of years ago, uh, our, the worship leader at our, our church plant reminded me of this. He said, uh, behind every temptation and every fall is a question of our identity. That, is, that has always stuck with me. And the reason is this. He, he, he referenced, he talked about, he talked about uh, how, how when you and I, when we go out, and uh, when we look at what Scripture says, when heaven opened and, G- and, and God said, this is my son whom I love, listen to him, this is Christ's identity. Immediately he's in the wilderness and what happens? The enemy comes. And the enemy tries three different times to say, well, if you really are the son of God, why don't you do this? Every time that Jesus was tempted, it was to get Jesus to question his own identity and who he was. And I think that so easily happens to us. We get caught up in sin, we get caught up in brokenness, we get caught up in what other people say and think about us. And every time it causes us to wonder, am I really a child of God? Man, I've screwed up. And I've screwed up again and again and I've made so many mistakes over and over again and we wonder, God, could you possibly forgive someone like me? But here's what I want us to remember. Like our own children who make mistakes and who disappoint us from time to time and just as though there may be times when they question their role within the family, it never changes who they are. They're always your children. And you are God's child. His special possession. He called you. He created you. He crafted you. That's your identity. 